Welcome to the Cover Crop Strategies Podcast. I'm Sarah Hill, Associate Editor. Today's program is brought to you by BioTill Cover Crops. BioTill Cover Crops provide innovative solutions to growing problems with a complete line of cover crops engineered to scavenge nutrients, improve water infiltration, stop erosion, rejuvenate soils, improve your bottom line, and keep you profitable. Call 541-928-0102 today for one-on-one local consultations and recommendations. Today, I'd like to introduce Liz Stahl, a University of Minnesota Extension Educator on Crops. Today, Liz will be discussing planting green into cover crops. Welcome to the podcast, Liz. Thank you. Happy to be here. So to get us started, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. Well, I'm you know Liz Stahl. I'm a regional extension educator in crops. I work with University of Minnesota. I'm focused in southwestern Minnesota out of our Worthington Regional Extension Office. I've got a weed science background, uh, but my work you know, mainly focuses around corn and soybean management issues. And I always say with a focus on sustainability. Very good. So let's go ahead and jump right in. If a grower has an overwintering cover crop, when should they be thinking to terminate it uh, before planting the primary cash crop? Well, you know, historically, the recommendation has been to terminate the cover crop, you know, about two weeks before planting the cash crop. Uh, of course, the problem with that, that just doesn't allow for much cover crop growth, especially when you're in Minnesota. You know, when you look at it in Minnesota, we're planting corn and soybean pretty much as soon as we're able to get into the fields, okay, within reason, you know, to optimize yield. Uh, but, you know, we look at with corn, our planting dates around that last week of April through the first week of May, roughly, say like April 25th to the 10th, you know, that's where we're optimizing our yield. Uh, but people can start planting about as early as mid-April. Um, and soybean, you know, long-term research there as well, you know, we're optimizing yields uh, May 1st, you know, that's where we're getting 100% yield potential long-term averages. So if you look at those planting dates, you know, if we would kick that back like two weeks before, that just wouldn't allow very much time for cover crop growth to occur in the spring. Okay. So yeah, talk a little bit more about why that two weeks is kind of the, the standard timing before planting cash crops. Yeah, there's a couple of things going on there. You know, the big thing, of course, you're trying to prevent that cover crop from competing with the cash crop. You know, delaying term- termination, you could get competition with that cover crop uh, with the cash crop for key things like nutrient, water, uh, and light. You know, and again, another key reason, too, is that concern over potential green bridge for insects and diseases from the cover crop into the cash crop. You know, for example, true armyworm, you know, that's a pest that does not overwinter in Minnesota. You know, the moths are brought up uh, up north from down south, typically like in a storm system. Uh, and then they're attracted to grassy areas. So like a, you know, rye cover crop, uh, they'll lay their eggs there, the larva, larva hatch, they're feeding on that, that grass. Uh, if you terminate that cover crop, you know, and, and you terminated that, say like, for, you know, two weeks ahead of time, that biomass is going to, it'll dry those insects, they would starve, you know, because there's nothing to feed on. But if you have that window really short, 
you know, they can just move right from that, uh, those, you know, that grassy cover crop right into the corn, you know, and start feeding on that. Again, it's a rare, rare pest, but it can happen. You know, we have seen that happen. So if you have that window too short, you know, that can be a problem again with that, what we talk about with that green bridge. Um, also, of course, there's a lot of talk too about, you know, rye having allelopathic effects on corn. Uh, that is something that is really hard to test and measure. Um, but again, you know, there's a lot of, uh, you know, people talking about this, a lot of work done in the literature and that and so forth. But I think one of the driving factors with that too has been, it, you know, a lot of times it's a nitrogen issue when we look at with corn, or that's what a lot of the researchers are, are looking at. Um, so, you know, if it's, if that cash crop, you know, that takes up, or excuse me, the cover crop takes up nitrogen too. If it's taking up nitrogen, that could be taking that away from say corn, you know, which can lead to stunting, yellowing the corn ultimately can hurt yield too. So that's why again, having that window between the two, it just really helps reduce that competition and that potential for, again, that green bridge. So talk a little bit about biomass and how much cover crop biomass should growers allow to grow before they're ready to plant green into it? Um, and, and how do they determine that? Yeah, you know, and that's an interesting question because really, again, and I'm coming from the Minnesota perspective, um, for me, you know, really looking at that calendar, that's a big driving factor of when to plant. Because again, I'm looking at trying to optimize my cash crop yield. So that's a, that's a key question. You know, what are your goals? If your goals are to optimize your cash crop yield, um, you need to be looking at what you need to do to maximize that yield potential. Um, so it's a balance. It's trade-offs. And, you know, you look at, okay, if you want to have more biomass, you know, are you willing to potentially give up, say, 1% to 2% of your cash crop yield on average? Again, it's not a given. Those are always long-term averages. But if you delay planting a little bit just to get more biomass, um, are you willing to make that trade-off? Um, are you willing to look at maybe a slightly shorter hybrid to plant? Uh, again, you know, knowing that you could be limiting yield potential a bit, potentially, if you did that. Um, again, it's all about trade-offs and risks. Uh, plus, you need to be looking at the weather. Um, so, is moisture lacking like in this year? Then you might want to terminate earlier. You know, again, regardless of how much biomass is out there, um, you know, you got to look at that planting date for optimizing yield um, and just trying to prevent much competition. So, um, or again, are you looking at a wet forecast? So, you might not get a termly, timely termination. So, uh, and you also want to watch that cover crop so it doesn't get away from you too, because each year, as we know, can really vary. So, I don't really look at, you know, the biomass, you know, that's one thing you're looking at, but you got to balance it out with many other factors too. Okay, fair enough. Talk a little bit about how the practice of planting green can maybe allow growers to terminate those cover crops later in the season. Yeah, because basically, again, here you're looking at delaying that termination uh, until planting or after planting versus earlier. So again, just having that wider window to allow more cover crop growth um, that does allow you to get more biomass from the cover crop. So that's that's the big big driving factor there when, that we're looking at uh, when you're planting green. Okay. Um, so why does planting green result in maybe additional benefits from those cover crops? 
Yeah, that's a good question. You know, and, and that's the thing with cover crops. You know, it's been pretty well established in a lot of different research that the more benefits, uh, or I should say the more biomass you get from the cover crop, the more potential uh, to get benefits from that cover crop. And, you know, again, weed science, my background, for example, looking at weed control uh, research conducted in the re region has shown that you needed to have at least like 4,500 pounds per acre biomass to suppress weeds by, say, 75%. Um, again, that's not a level of weed control that people, you know, what it would be acceptable if that's the only thing you did. You know, for example, herbicides, we're looking at 95 plus percent effectiveness. But again, you know, like cover crop can help contribute to weed control, maybe help us, you know, again, just give, give us an, another tool in the toolbox. Um, same with like Palmer Amaranth. They said they needed to have uh, in research about 8,000 pounds breaker biomass to get about 75 to 80% weed control. Uh, Iowa State too, they just did a recent planting green trial that they just reported on. Um, they found that they had about 4,600 pounds per acre of cover crop biomass that reduced water hemp emergence by a little over 30%. So again, it's not like the only thing you want to do for weed control, but having more biomass it was helping, you know, the cover crop could help contribute to weed control. It also helped reduce the size of weeds on their biomass at the time of post-emergence application. So again, that just helps you to have a more effective system. So they're not standalone, but they did provide some help. Uh, but also with more biomass on the top, you're getting more root biomass as well. So that increases, you know, your potential to have more soil health benefits, like increasing soil organic matter potentially. Uh, we also know with work done looking at how much nitrates are taken up by a cover crop, like cereal rye, you know, can uh, take up nitrates. Uh, again, that's a function of how much biomass. If you just have this real little spindly plant out there, it just can't do very much versus you know, a nice thick uh, stand of, of cover crop out there uh, has more potential to take up, you know, help you out with like reducing nitrate losses, for example. Okay, great. So talk a little bit about any research that you've done related to planting green and, and maybe what some of the findings were. Yeah, I, I uh, actually uh, worked with Dr. Axel Garcia e. Garcia uh, at the Southwest Research and Outreach Center by Lamberton. And actually, we had a planting green trial out last year, kind of put it together with a little shoestring budget uh, with some help from NCR SARE um, as well. But anyway, we established that trial. We planted the cereal rye in the fall of 2019. It was like 60 pounds per acre. I used a Penn State interseeding uh, drill to get good establishment. Um, and then in the spring, uh, we terminated the cover crop at three different timings. Uh, the first timing was about 10 days. Well, I should say it wasn't about, it was 10 days prior to planting. Uh, it was May 2nd. Uh, and then at planting, that was May 12th. Uh, and then 90s after planting, that was May 21st. And we did this in corn and soybean. We planted the corn or soybeans uh, on May 12th. And again, it's important to note this is just one site, one year, but again, it, it gave us some real interesting results. You know, we did see indeed that yes, biomass uh, did increase as we delayed termination. We saw canopy height of the cover crop increase. We saw ground cover increase. Um, again, with a delayed termination. But then when we looked at the cash crop, uh, corn yield, it was decreased as termination was delayed. Uh, it was about 4% yield decrease if we terminated at planting, and it was about 8% uh, decrease when we terminated that cereal rye uh, the 90s after planting. Uh, however, in soybean, 
we didn't see an impact on yield. And this is similar to what other research has found uh, in the areas too, but I, I just found that interesting too. We didn't, we didn't see an impact on yield at this time. Uh, but I think it's also important to note, although we did see that increase in biomass, you know, the max that we were able to achieve uh, was like 1500 pounds per acre. So, you know, not up to that 4,500 and not up to that 8,000, you know, pounds per acre, but, you know, 1500 pounds per acre was the maximum that we were able to achieve. Okay. We'll get back to some of that, those findings uh, in, in a little bit related to some other questions I have. Um, so, does geography influence if planting green is a good option for growers? I know you're based in Minnesota. Uh, what have you seen with growers in the, the northern part of the country? Yeah, you know, because I, I guess, you know, compared to, say, further south, geography has a huge impact, you know. Um, again, we look at some of the biomass that people are able to produce and we're like, wow, you know, I wish we could produce that. You know, we, again, we just have that shorter growing season, a tighter window to work with. Um, we don't have that growing degree day accumulation early on in the season compared to, you know, further south, moisture as well. Um, so, yeah, you know, from that aspect, certainly geography does play a, a role, a significant role, you know, what your cropping system is too. Um, and, you know, again, it's just that smaller window, um, what your cash crop is. And again, I work primarily with corn and soybean farmers. So we're trying to fit cover crops into the system, just figuring out, you know, the best ways to do that, how we can optimize um, the, you know, the benefits from the cover crop while, you know, keeping, uh, you know, our profitability, optimizing that as well with our cash crop. Okay. So let's talk through, you mentioned uh, during your research that there was a slight uh, yield decrease related to planting green into corn. Um, what are some of the other potential disadvantages that growers may experience uh, planting green? Yeah, so the potential disadvantage, like you say, of course, you know, that's a potential to impact cash yield. Um, also, you know, we can have water stress on the cash crop, uh, potentially too, which in a year like this, you know, that could be a significant concern. Um, also, you might have some more challenging planting conditions, say if you're not used to, you know, planting into higher residue uh, situation, you know, if you don't have residue managers and, and so forth, uh, just, just some adjustments that you likely will need to do as you change this aspect of your system. Um, also, you could have some cooler soil temperatures that, that could potentially slow crop growth a little bit, especially early on in the season, again, related to that higher residue situation. Uh, you might have some reduction in nitrogen that's available for the cash crop too. That's again where, you know, we could have more issues with corn uh, potentially uh, as well. Um, another issue too, you know, pre-emergence herbicides, when you have a lot of biomass on there, uh, they could just physically, um, you know, inhibit the ability of that pre-emergence herbicide to get onto the soil, you know, so it could be tied up potentially with that. So that, that's just another um, potential issue as well. Um, and again, that potential green bridge for insect and disease pests too. Those, those would be kind of some of the more key factors that would be uh, concerns if you're looking at planting green. We'll be right back to the podcast, but first I want to thank our sponsor. BioTill cover crops provide innovative solutions to growing problems with a complete line of cover crops engineered to scavenge nutrients, improve water infiltration, 
stop erosion, rejuvenate soils, improve your bottom line, and keep you profitable. Call 541-928-0102 today for one-on-one local consultations and recommendations. And now back to the podcast. What would be some factors on the, the positive side that would influence how impactful planting green could be? Yeah. So, you know, some things like how well established is the cover crop? You know, that's one thing that we've been looking at. Again, uh, Dr. Garcia, e. Garcia at, at Lamberton uh, with the university has looked at seeding timing in the fall. And that impacts, you know, how much growth you have in the spring. Um, as well. And is it drilled or was it just laid on top? We know drilling uh, also, you know, get better seed to soil contact that helps establishment as well too. So that's one thing, you know, how well established that cover crop is. So how much biomass you're getting, uh, what are you planting as a cover crop? You know, we've looked at cereal rye in our trials. That's just been a real good workhorse cover crop. Um, I know people look at some other cover crops as well, but again, what, what species you're using, um, moisture status, that's something that can influence, you know, the, the potential impacts. Um, again, that affects how much establishment you get and growth of the cover crop and potential then also for competition uh, with your cash crop. What's your growing season like? You know, is it cooler and planting's delayed or is it warmer so you get earlier planting, you know, the cash crop and faster growth of the cover crop? Uh, what nutrient management program are you using too? Are you using a starter? You know, I think uh, if you're going to plant green, you know, starter fertilizer, that would be a really nice situation to use that too, just to help ensure that you're not uh, shorting your cash crop of a key nutrient like nitrogen. Um, what tillage systems are you using in the rotation too? That's going to influence know, how much biomass you have. Um, And, you know, a lot of people still use some pretty aggressive tillage around here as well. And just, again, reducing tillage, that really goes hand in hand with uh, having more success of of cover crops because you're just giving the cover crops more time to get established and and to give you more benefits. You're allowing them to have more growth versus, you know, tearing up a tillage. Um, Also, look at, you know, what what, what's your weed situation? If you have a really weedy field, um, that might not be the field where I want to plant green with yet, you know, just to add a more, uh, another management factor on there, probably targeting your cleaner fields might make it a little easier uh, to manage something like planting green. Um, and, you know, it, you have less limits with your um, herbicide uh, program that you want to use too. And, you know, what are your weeds that you have as well? You know, if you have giant ragweed, for example, it's an early emerging weed um, that could certainly, you know, have, you know, potential there. If you have a nice cover crop biomass, you know, that might help delay emergence on that or, or reduce emergence versus, you know, water hemp that emerges later on in the season, you know, how much biomass you have may not have as big of an impact on, again, a later emerging weed. So a lot of different factors. Yeah, it sounds like there's a lot of different things to consider, but but a lot of positive, it sounds like, compared to the negative, certainly. Talk a little bit about, you mentioned the herbicide program. How does the herbicide program influence the success of planting green? That's that's a great thing to bring up, too, because, you know, some of the you know early innovators that tried this out, you know, you learn by the school of hard knocks. And, and unfortunately, some people just, everybody sees these fields. But, you know, I've seen fields where 
somebody just didn't get out there in time to terminate the cover crop. You know, we've had years where it just rained and rained and you just couldn't get out there. And the cover crop just goes to town and, you know, it really uh, ends up in stunted corn, for example, ended up in significant yield loss. You know, I'm thinking of this one particular field, but, you know, again, whatever the cash crop is, if you don't get timely termination, you're going to get competition. Um, and uh, another issue too, um, and I appreciate, you know, people sharing these stories with, with me as well, because then it helps others to learn and hopefully not replicate, you know, the same issue, but they use a product that wasn't as effective at termination. Um, and so here again, the cover crop wasn't terminated effectively, uh, ended up competing with their cash crop. You could see the stunted, you could see reduced stands uh, and led to an, a yield impact as well. So, I mean, kind of the, just a general recommendation, you know, a product like glyphosate, that's active ingredient Roundup, that has been, you know, the most effective product for termination of cereal rye and, and a number of other cover crops too, versus say glufosinate, that's active ingredient Liberty uh, and Paraquat, you know, like Gramoxinone, you know, again, not putting a black eye on either of those products. Those are, are really nice products too, have a really nice uh, fit in, in weed management. But when we're looking at terminating a cover crop for the time of year that we're needing to make these applications and what we're dealing with, you know, glyphosate has been, you know, the most, uh, most effective when you look at research done uh, by universities throughout the upper Midwest. Okay. So you mentioned earlier that, that spring weather can be unpredictable at best. So if planting green is delayed by wet or cold weather, how does that impact the effectiveness of the practice? Yeah, so if you have cold or wet weather, you know, again, that can slow down growth of the cover crop and can reduce the efficacy of the herbicide use determination. You know, for example, again, we talked about glyphosate being uh, a really good tool to use um, for termination of a cover crop if you're going to chemically terminate it. Uh, but for that to be effective, you need the plants to be actively growing. Um, so typically that means you're looking at daytime highs around 60 degrees Fahrenheit, nighttime lows, you know, no lower than about 40 degrees. And especially in Minnesota, that can be tough in the spring. <laughs> it can be really tough to get those situations um, soon enough, you know, early enough in the season around termination. Um, and then also, you know, what weather if that delays planting, um, you know, you'd cover crop could get really big. It could get tougher to control. Um, also could take up more moisture. Again, if you're looking at a wet season, you might think that's okay, but you know, what's, what's going to be the moisture status later on in the season um, as well. So that's always something to keep in mind. Um, and of course we know that later planting that can reduce our yield potential of our cash crop, um, but that's regardless of planting green or not. But so again, just some, some of those different things to be considering and, and, and trade-offs. So you do want to be able to terminate the cover crop soon enough after planting before it really starts to compete with that cash crop. Yeah, let's let's talk about that and the timing of terminating the cover crop. <laughs> Does delaying that uh, affect the cash crop yields? Yeah, you know, like in our research, you know, corn was more sensitive to early season. Well, it was more sensitive to early season competition, and that is something that we have seen you know, and, and research conducted, you know, universities, again, throughout the Corn Belt, throughout the upper Midwest. Um, and again, we did see that yields were reduced when we terminated that cover crop at planting and after planting. Um, and soybean, though, 
you know, we didn't see as big of an impact. Uh, we didn't see any impact on yield uh, for the dates that we looked at. And again, other research has found that as well, although some research has seen, you know, depending again, how long uh, you waited to terminate that cover crop after planting and soybean, some sites there was an impact, some sites there wasn't. So again, it's about risk, you know, it's evaluating risk, how much risk do you want to take on, what's the trade-offs um, that you get as, as well too. But so I, I think we've got, um, you know, more leeway certainly to work with with soybean, but corn, you know, that's that's a higher risk crop to, to do this practice with. Fair enough, for sure. So talk a little bit about, uh, are there any differences in planting green and, and the outcomes if, depending on the type of cover crop species that's being planted into? Yeah, you know, and we've really only looked at cereal rye. Um, and again, we just have really limited information in our research to, you know, that's been one of the most dependable at getting established and overwintering of the cover crops that we've done in, in our research. Uh, we have uh, looked at, you know, in some trials we had red clover, but uh, we had several locations of that and, and stands have really varied on what we got in the spring. Um, some sites that look pretty good, other sites you could hardly tell that we had red clover out there. So again, um, so we've seen some difference in species. Another species I'd mentioned that we have looked at is camelina. Um, I, I think it's important to note that too, that has successfully overwintered. Uh, and I'd say that's a cover crop really that I consider a cash crop cover crop. Um, it's not widely available yet. Um, but there is, I think, a lot of potential for that to fit into our system. Um, and there is, you know, that you can get oil from, from the camelina. There's demand out there. There's a market already. Um, and so it's just, you know, getting all the agronomics to work out with that. But that is one uh, crop potentially, uh, again, that could fit into this kind of a system as well. You know, so you're planting the camelina in the fall, uh, over winters. Um, we have seen uh, good stands in the spring. Uh, planting date does influence that too. You don't want to plant that too late in the fall uh, either. Earlier planting date helps that uh, you know spring establishment and good seed to soil contact like drilling uh, and so forth. But then when you have that established stand then in the spring, um, you can you know either harvest that for seed before planting soybean or you know some we've looked at like interseeding soybean in some cases too where you know you got to work on how you can harvest that as well but you harvest the oil off of that so you might have you know a reduction in the yield from your soybeans but if you look at that total oil that is produced off that acre um, you know research has shown that's very promising that they've produced you know some more more oil in that system, you know, with the camelina in there. So again, I think that's another, um, you know, thing where, again, we're looking at maybe that could be a really nice fit uh, for, for planting green as well. Very interesting. So Liz, where can our listeners go for more information about planting green? Yeah, we've got, well, we do have a cover crop website and that's just at z.umn.edu forward slash cover and then dash crops. So it's a longer website, but again, z.umn.edu forward slash cover dash crops. So that's where we have a lot of our information on cover crops. Um, also the Forever Green website, that's where you could find out some more information on Camelina. They do have a little bit on cover crops there as well. Uh, and then we have our MOSH, that's the Minnesota Office of Soil Health. 
Um, it's just mosh, M-O-S-H dot U-M-N dot E-D-U. Um, check out that website. There's a lot of resources on soil health and also links uh, to cover crops as well. So, um, yeah, a lot of a lot of nice resources. Those are University of Minnesota uh, links, but uh, but you know, again, other universities have been doing some some work on on planting green as well. But that's you know where you find a lot of information tailored to to our neck of the woods here. Fantastic. Well, Liz, that's all the time we have today. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Once again, I want to thank BioTill for sponsoring this podcast. To learn more about BioTill, call 541-928-0102 today. For more information about all things cover crops, visit us online at covercropstrategies.com.